I'm very excited to share this recording with you guys, which happened at our conference, sasopen.com, with over 100 speakers, all founders of B2B SaaS companies. We have a very high bar for what speakers share on stage, so you're going to enjoy this episode where we dive deep into revenue graphs, real tactics, and real growth metrics. You are listening to Conversations with Nathan Latka, where I sit down and interview the top SaaS founders, like Eric Wan from Zoom. If you'd like to subscribe, go to gitlatka.com. We've published thousands of these interviews, and if you want to sort through them quickly by revenue or churn, CAC, valuation, or other metrics, the easiest way to do that is to go to gitlatka.com and use our filtering tool. It's like a big Excel sheet for all of these podcast interviews. Check it out right now at gitlatka.com. So today we're going to talk about creating a compelling product roadmap with a particular untapped resource. This is the weirdest remote I've ever seen. I'm sorry. The green button? Green arrow. Questionable on if it's an arrow. But anyway, UX-wise, so I started in UX. This is not very usable. Here we go. So over the next 20 minutes, I'm going to talk to you about the roadmap challenges that we face when we're building products. I'm going to talk to you about What's that untapped resource that we should be working with? And then finally, we'll talk about how do you partner there so that you get the most effective results. Our typical product roadmap has lots of pieces. It has lots of swim lanes, if you will. And it often has lots and lots of features. When you're building a product roadmap, especially if you have a larger product, you can think, ah, oh, sorry. So, So let's talk about the problems with your product roadmap. The first one is shiny feature bias. The second one is hippos and other influences. And the third one is that there's churn by a thousand tiny cuts while you're building all these things. Shiny feature bias. The big problem with your roadmap is it's full of features. Somebody said it on the last stage I was in in the founder room. Features don't get you customers, right? Nobody wants your product for its own sake. Nobody wants to use it. If they could not use your product and do the thing they need to do, they would not use your product. Most people are not using your product to do the thing that they need to do that your product solves. So when you build new features, you're building things that people don't necessarily want. And you're ignoring all the current UI problems that you have, the things that people that get in people's way when they actually want to get something done. This is really important because new features sound exciting, right? How many times have you been like, oh, this is going to be so good? New features. Customers tell us all the time, oh, if you just build this, I'll buy it. They're not going to buy it. Nine times out of ten, they're going to come in and say, oh, yeah, we'll totally buy if you build this one thing. You build the thing they don't buy. And new features are great for keeping everybody on the executive team happy, keeping your investors happy, because it feels like you're growing. You're not growing in the way that are meaningful, right? Because it doesn't get you new customers most of the time. And it doesn't stop your current customers from churning because people are already using your product. They just want that to work better nine times out of ten. The other problem with your roadmap is hippos. And if you haven't heard of hippos, it's the highest paid person's opinion in your organization. How many times have you come up and your CEO says, oh, I have this great idea. What I'm referencing over here with this My Billion Dollar Mistake is an article written by Hittenshaw he was the founder of Kitsmetrics. He says in the article, we were three years ahead of our competition 
Uh, we were scrappy, we were lean, we were iterating on things that they had let stagnate. And then he says, I effed it all up. And the reason why is because he had all these ideas. And every time he had an idea, he went to his product team and he said, hey, product team, build this. His ideas were not better than lots of the ideas that they were already working on. But because he was the highest paid person in the organization, people built what he said. It actually got to the point he talks about in his article. They called it the hit and bomb. Because every time he would come in, he'd say, here's my great idea. And they'd go, oh, crap. Now we have to figure out how to work around this. When you listen to the highest paid person's opinion, even if they had a good idea in the past, it's not a guarantee of a good idea in the future. Their ideas have to be vetted as well. And then while all this is happening, you've got all these features and other people's ideas in your roadmap. Your users are churning by a thousand tiny cuts, right? You've heard of death by a thousand paper cuts. That's what it's like to use many products. For example, YouTube said, let's auto-generate these images for you for your thumbnail. And it gave me this fine pixelated version of my face and said, that's the one, right? Yeah? No? Okay. This one is a website I was navigating. And that's the menu. But instead it says, men, chat with us, because the chat is overlaying the menu that I now can't tap on. This happens all the time. Like everybody's product, everybody's website, we all have those chat pop-ups. I can't tell you the number of times that I can't access the thing I need because your chat pop-up is in the way. Ah. Then there's this one. This is a scheduling app that looks like a movie theater seating chart, and I'm very confused about it. I'm not sure if I'm scheduling with someone what I'm supposed to do here. Here's another one. Netflix was like, because you watched Coco, would you like to watch Coco? Yes, that seems right. I'll just watch it again. If I'm five, maybe, fair. But this is on my adult Netflix account. And then shipping method, free shipping or free shipping too. Which one would you like? These are easy to find. I actually have a whole database of these because I'm a UX person. There are tons of things in your app that just don't work well. And when your roadmap doesn't account for those, people start churning because they get frustrated because somebody scrappier and newer comes out and creates something better that feels less hard. If you don't solve that one core problem well, it doesn't matter what other features you have. But how do you know what things to solve? Well, that's where your untapped resource comes in. Surprise, it's customer success. I know, I thought you were, I was gonna say UX. Customer success is important, and there are three things we're going to talk about here. We're talking about why customer success is so valuable, what's the challenge in working with customer success, and what opportunities does customer success present. So customer success gets 4,000 average-wise calls per month. That's 4,000 qualitative data points. I'm going to talk for a second about qualitative and quantitative because we work a lot with numbers, right? Follow the numbers. Data doesn't lie. Data lies. Sorry. Quantitative is not better than qualitative, and here's why. Let's say last year in my company I made $6 million in revenue. Good or bad? Do you know? No, you don't know. Sounds good on the surface. Oh, $6 million is not a bad number. Nice job. Better than twenty. What if I said the year before I made $10 million? Now, is that six million good or bad? 
What if I said that year I made 10 million, I was only 10% profitable, but the year I made 6 million, I was 50% profitable. Now is that 6 million good or bad? Have the numbers changed? No. Has your perception of good or bad about them changed? Numbers are subjective because we give them meaning. Six million is always six million. That's why numbers are objective, because the quantity doesn't change. But what we believe about it and the decisions we make because of it, that's the thing that changed, and that's why quantitative data is just as subjective as qualitative data. The other problem with quantitative data, it doesn't tell you why. If I have 50 people sign up for my newsletter, I don't know why they did. And then I have 50 people unsubscribe. I don't know why they did. Yes, they offer that little thing. That's rarely the reason, right? Those little surveys that say, why did you unsubscribe? You don't know. Why is someone churning? You give them a survey. They have five options. They might pick one. They might not. They might offer you a text box. Tell tell us why you're churning. Sometimes companies make this required. When they make that required, I type in the box, please don't require me to fill this out for you. That's not helpful information. So when you're looking at quantitative data, that can be helpful to tell you what you should pay attention to. But qualitative data tells you why something is happening and what you should actually do about it. And the one place in your company that has the most qualitative data, unfortunately, isn't UX, even though I would love it to be. But like in UX research, you can't talk to 4,000 people in a month, most months. Customer success is already doing that. So what's the challenge? Well, most customer success systems, they don't deliver information that's valuable for product teams, right? They deliver information that's valuable for customer success teams, like how long does it take people to solve an issue? I was on chat with American Express for five hours last Friday trying to resolve an issue. I paid my balance, and then they said I was late on my payment, even though we all agreed that we could see the payment. Nobody knows why. They're taking it to their product team to figure out. But I was on for five hours. So that's something customer success looks at. How long are you on with someone to solve a problem? How satisfied are people when you solve their problem or they talk to you, they fill out another little survey? So all these things don't give you good product information. So what ends up happening is every so often customer success comes and says, hey, I heard this thing. And product goes, oh, did you hear it from a lot of people? Or tell me more about it. And customer success says, oh, I don't really know. And then nothing gets built. And they stop telling you because they feel like you don't listen. And then product teams start, stop asking because you feel like customer success doesn't understand the level of information you need to do something about it. The good news is you can create systems that help customer success and product work together. And my takeaway object artifact thing for you today, I built you an Airtable base that has a little form that customer success can fill out to get you that data in a way that's meaningful for you. So the way it works, you get a spreadsheet of everything, and you can view it in this view, and then there's another view we'll show right in a second. They get a form. They add themselves. They get a bunch of stuff that they quickly fill out, and then you get qualitative data, and that becomes meaningful because then you can aggregate it. You can look at, of this qualitative data I got, what's the quantity of things that are repetitive? Where should I be paying attention? Or, oh, I really want to focus on this new feature. Does anything in this information support the idea of that new feature? It becomes really, really powerful. And you can look at it in a nice view, like I said. This is a, a great view where you can sort of see things at scale. And if you've never used Airtable, it's like spreadsheets on crack. It's really great. Um, 
you don't have to use this system and you don't have to use Airtable, but finding some way where you and customer success can collaborate is super important. So how do you effectively partner with customer success? There's three things. So the first one, build trust. The second, build shared systems. And the third, reverse engineer roadmap decisions. As I mentioned, customer success and product don't hang out because they feel like they don't listen to each other, right? It's like in Aladdin. Aladdin's like, I've got to be a prince because Jasmine deserves a prince. Jasmine's like, are you that boy from the marketplace that I really, really liked and want to hang out with more? And he's like, couldn't be me. He's not listening to her. Product and customer success don't listen to each other. You talk past each other a lot of the time. So the first thing that you need to do is actually build meaningful trust. What that can look like is helping customer success see how stuff that they've asked you about actually makes it into the roadmap, actually gets fixed. It can look like when a new feature is coming down, you actually provide meaningful training for your customer success team. Nine times out of ten, when I'm talking to someone in customer success, they're like, yeah, we weren't ready for that. No one told us it was coming. And they're trying to troubleshoot lots of problems that they just had nothing. They have nothing. They're figuring out with you on the phone. It's frustrating. Treat them as important as your hippos, right? Because they actually have the most meaningful data because they are talking to customers day in and day out. Build a monthly roundtable where customer suggestions gets to come and share all the things that they remember hearing that month. It's better than nothing, and it starts to build trust. So then they're going to want to fill out your form. Because if they don't trust you and they don't believe you're going to do anything with it, they're not going to fill out your form. They've got a lot to do, and they're measured on call time, call volume, reduction in churn, things like that. Caring about your form is another thing they have to do, but it's so valuable for the company, for their success, and for your success. And the sooner that you can help them understand that and build a system that works for all of you. So I made this form and this thing. It may not work for your team, but if you work with customer success, you'll find something that will. And the last thing that working with customer success lets you do is reverse engineer roadmap decisions. And I alluded to this earlier, right? Sometimes something ends up on the roadmap and you're not sure if it's a good idea. Sometimes your CEO says, oh, we need to build this thing. And you're going, no, that's, that's not the thing. Customers don't need that. Now you have at your fingertips data to potentially have that conversation as opposed to waiting a month and like doing some research in real time. You may already know that's not a good decision and you can prove it because you have customer success data. And then it's not your opinion versus your CEO's. It makes that conversation much easier. So those roadmap things that might not be as good to do or those features you might be excited about, you might be able to justify moving them around with the data you've already gotten from customer success. How powerful would that be for you? So over the last 20 minutes, we talked about some of the huge challenges with your roadmap as a product, the untapped resource, customer success, and why they matter and why it's hard, and then how to make it better. So that's the end of my talk. I'd love to hear from you. What questions do you have? I've got about five minutes. Thank you. Yeah, go ahead. You said you had the air table. Is that something that we can get to? Or yeah. If you go to tinyurl.com slash SAS open roadmap. They also should be sending it out. Um, I've sent it to the event organizers. They should be sending it out 
you can also come see me afterwards, and I will write it down for you. Um, I'm sorry it's not in my slides. I didn't have the URL before the slides went out. Yeah, go ahead. Somebody else? Questions? You're all now experts in customer success. I'm really excited about that. No, well, it's for the recording. It's not for volume, but thank you. Yeah, so you were talking about, like, um, customer success teams, and that's something that we're actually starting to build right now. Um, <laughs> I'd love some insights as to, like, the, you know, the, the things that you did when you first started building that, like the training, right? You said that was mm -hmm. super important, and we want to be ready for scale from the beginning, right? So we want to think about, you know, that's what we're thinking about. So any insights into how to actually build a great customer success team, you know, from that first step? Yeah, I think from the first step is treat them as important. Um, treat their needs as valuable and make sure that product has a process for documenting things as they're coming and documenting things as they're releasing, right? So roadmap-wise, what's the process for communicating that? What's the process for talking about it and getting feedback from people who might know more than you about if that's a good idea? Because customer success will be like, you probably should not build that because they want this other thing, or maybe you should do this first. But only if you give them the space. So give them a seat at your product table right from the beginning. And then document shit. Like, how many times have you built things, and it's like that one guy in the corner who knows everything about it, and if that person leaves, man, we are so screwed, right? They're the only one that knows. If you have somebody like that or a group of somebody's like that in your organization, get them, give them time on their schedule to brain dump a bunch of it, because you never want to be in a position where if somebody leaves your company, y'all are screwed, even the CEO. So the sooner you can get into documenting that, especially about your product and how decisions are made and what the process is by getting things on the roadmap, the better off you'll be. Yeah, so what, to your point, um, there's a good way to have a balance of new features and fixing things that already exist. But given the choice, fix things that already exist because that will keep loyalty of your current customers unless you're making a huge pivot. But if you're not making a huge pivot and you don't have actual skim in the game from people who, like, if Microsoft calls and says, we'll give you $8 million to build this feature, build the feature, that's fine. That is rarely the case. Don't do it on promises trust that the people who use your product really do want it to succeed and they just want it to work better for them, right? I didn't spend five hours with Amex because I love them. I spent five hours because I wanted someone to fix the problem I was having. Anybody else? I got one minute and 36 seconds. No? All right. Yeah, sorry? Excellent. Yeah, go ahead. How do you get leadership to see the value in, you know, there, there's the customer success and support side, which, you know, real issues, real, real functional problems, the stuff that you had in like the usability, that stuff, they're just not going to call success for a lot of times. How do you, there's this gray area of usability. How do you get leadership to see the value in that stuff versus fixing just defects or fixing or doing just new features? 
Um, I would say that the way is usability is a key differentiator. If I'm choosing between two products and one is easier for me to use, I'm choosing that one. And when you think about all the disruptions in different sectors and different products and things, you lose customers not because your product was bad, but because somebody did it better, right? And what does better mean? Easier for me to solve my problem. That's usability, right? So when you're having those conversations and you're like, we need to focus on this usability, and they say, oh, that's like on the nice-to-have list someday 20 years from now. You can show them how it's frustrating. You can help them think of a time. We've all used technology that just doesn't work how we want it to. Who has used technology and always found it perfect? None of you. Your CEO has had those experiences, but they don't connect those to, well, not in my product, they say, because they're too familiar. So if they're really not believing you, get a random customer have them do a usability test in front of your CEO. Domino's changed their sauce recipe of their pizza because the CEO finally tried their pizza and said, damn, this is shit. I'm not kidding. You can look that up. Domino's revamped their whole pizza recipe. I'm out of time. I apologize. But because the CEO finally said, oh, I don't like this. So make it your CEO's problem. All right. Um, thank you all so very much. I'm hosting a brain date at 1130 to talk more about this. If you want to talk specifically about your problems or about your roadmap, you can come find me in the brain date lounge. I'm also hosting one-on-one -on -one UX evaluations of your product for brain date. So you can ping me for that. I have a bunch of time tomorrow. And thank you all so much for being great listeners. <laughs>